Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. I mean, how would you like to be up here and a film has just been made of your bad habits? In fact, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? What if Ryan did make a film of your bad habits? And we saw it this morning. What would we see on the film if we saw your bad habits? The truth is that since last spring, since about half this congregation saw me stop by a highway patrolman on the side of 68 on the way to worship one morning, I've been driving very slowly. I just poke around town. I'm more late than usual to meetings because I'm driving so slow. Most of the time. Because habits are hard to break, aren't they? Paul wrote in Romans 7 verse 15 something I identify with. Maybe you do. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong. But I can't help myself. Paul was admitting that, yes, he'd become a Christian, but he had some pre-Christian patterns in his life, some habits in his life that he was still trying to break. He was a project that God was still working on, and we all are. In my research this last week, I read about a person who was trying to lose weight. True story. She had a great line that I think describes the battle that we are all in, in one way or another. See if you identify with this. Inside me, there is a skinny person struggling to get out, but I usually sedate her with four or five cupcakes. (laughs) Inside of you, if Christ is in you, there is a forgiving person that is struggling to get out from underneath all this anger that sometimes you have. If Christ is inside of you, inside of you is a patient person who is struggling to get out. That's the story of every Christian who is sincere. But habits are like a comfortable bed. Easy to get into, hard to get out of. St. Augustine, one of the great Christians in history, said this from his personal life. Habits not resisted will soon become a necessity. Habits not resisted will soon become a necessity. You know, Freud, the father of modern psychology, had an addiction to cigar smoking. In fact, historians say that he smoked up to 20 cigars a day. There, in every one of the photographs taken of him, he's smoking a cigar. It was an addiction he could not break, and it caused, of course, eventually in him cancer of the mouth. He had more than 30 surgeries on his mouth to keep cutting out the cancer that kept going because of his addiction to cigars. But he would not stop smoking. He could not stop smoking cigars until finally he got addicted to cocaine, and then finally it killed him. Freud was a professional 
who had the solution to everyone's problem but his own. He knew the answer to everyone's problems. He thought everyone could get over whatever their problems were in life. But he had no solution to his own problems. Do you know anybody like that? Who has an answer for everybody else, but no answer for themselves? Do you know anybody who thinks people should handle their problems, but in their own life they are stuck and standing still, even though they have plenty of advice for other people? Freud was a person like that. I know what some of you are thinking. I don't have any addictions. I'm not a chain smoker. I'm not a druggie. I'm not an alcoholic. But I think we all have addictions. Everyone here this morning has addictions, don't you think? Thinking addictions. Thinking habits that we have in our life that we are unable to break and we've had them so long they've become a necessity, like Augustine said. And emotional addictions, emotions that we can't stop. We can't break these emotional habits. That's what I would call an addiction, wouldn't you? Anything we can't stop doing is an addiction. And that's thinking and emotional habits as well. For example, judgmentalness is an addiction many of us have here this morning. We think often judgmentally about other people. I mean several times a week, no, several times a day. It has become our habit to be critical and judgmental of other people, and we can't stop. We can't stop it. It's an addiction. Some of us here are probably up to our ears in debt. I mean, I don't, that's why I took the offering earlier in the worship service in case you got mad. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I'll bet there's more than a few of us here this morning who can't stop spending. And we spend in order to anesthetize ourselves, to self-medicate. We have a temporary good feeling as we buy something new. It's covering up our pain. It's our way of self-medication. But we're up to debt in our ears. And it's causing lots of stress. Stress is the number three reason why marriages, I mean debt is the number three reason marriages break up. But we can't stop spending. That's what I'd call an addiction. Whatever you can't stop doing is an addiction. Some of us spend a lot of time angry. I mean, we're not a yeller. We've learned to interiorize that. Maybe we grew up in a family where raising your voice was not permitted, but that didn't mean we weren't angry. And we are the sort that we may be a rageaholic, but we also may be a quiet, angry person who's very passive-aggressive or just stews. But the fact of the matter is, we get angry a lot, a lot every week. 
We can't help it. That's what I call an addiction. There's all kinds of addictions. It could be porn or alcohol. It might be lying for some of us. We can't stop not telling the truth. It may be gossip about other people. It may be resentment. We can't stop resenting some people in our life. It's an addiction. It's a habit we can't break. You see, all of us here in one way or another are addicted in our life. And the reason is none of us is perfect. We all have stuff, junk in our life that messes up things in our life, no matter what's parked in the garage. Most of us, our addictions are not in alcohol or drugs. Most of us have our addictions in our feeling habits and in our thinking habits. Psychology calls it automatic thinking. Automatic thinking. That is thinking that has become automatic in our life. We react to people in a certain way. We begin to think in a certain way if we're hurt. We begin to think in a certain way and become envious of another person. We begin to think automatically in a certain way so that we become judgmental of another person. It's become automatic thinking for us to become critical, judgmental, angry, and so on. A widespread myth is that our feelings are necessary. That's a myth. The idea that the way I feel, everyone would feel in my situation. Given my circumstances, my feelings are necessary. That's a lie. It is not true. And the evidence of that is that three people in the same situation can have very different emotional reactions. Because it is not circumstances that produce your feelings. It's your thinking about those circumstances that produce your feelings. It is our feelings, our thinking, that produces our inner state of emotion. And that's why the scriptures put such an emphasis upon take your mind captive to Christ. Our Romans 12, 2. Uh, renew your life by the renewal of your mind. This great emphasis upon taking responsibility for your thinking because your thinking produces all of your emotions and all of your actions. But the problem is we're addicted to thinking patterns that do automatically produce unhealthy emotions within us. And that's why I have often said that no one can make you angry without your cooperation. No one can do that. No one can make you resentful without your cooperation. No one can make you unhappy without your cooperation. And I've urged us, don't forfeit control of your life through your thinking habits. And that's why one of the most important things I know is to remember this. No one can be happier than their thoughts. Isn't that true? Can you be happier than the way you're thinking? You cannot be. You can never be happier than the way you're thinking. But the one area that people will not admit that they have addictions in is in their thinking habits.
that they've grown up with so long, it's become necessary and normal in their life. H.G. Wells called himself a walking civil war. I love that phrase. He meant that there was a war raging within him continually between Jekyll and Hyde, between choosing the right thing and the wrong thing, between choosing healthy things and unhealthy things, battles in his mind and in his feelings inside of himself. Don't you have battles in yourself between maybe resentment and forgiving? between letting it go and staying angry. We all have these battles within us. The Bible simply calls it our sin nature. By that it means there is a part of all of us that fights against what's healthy, what's good and right. It's our sin nature. There's a part of us that talks back to us and wants to pull us down. Why are you looking at me like that? Don't you talk to yourself? Well, who are you talking to? You're talking to your sin nature. And especially if Christ comes within you, there is this battle between the spirit and your sin nature that goes on within you. Everyone has it. Now, I know a lot of you don't like the word sin. Well, just choose another word that describes the reality that there is this battle going on within you. I personally like the word cripplings. I think we all have cripplings in our life that make us limp and mess up things within us. The cripplings that mess us up. What are your cripplings? What are the things that mess things up in you? The good news is that the Bible is God's manual about how to get healthy again. Because God wants us all to be healed of our cripplings. And this book has the steps within it, the things we need to do, that if we'll do these things, Anyone can get healthy again because that's the work of Christ within your life to make you healthy again. And that's why I'm calling this series Getting Healthy, Overcoming Our Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups. And it's a series for all of us because every one of us has these cripplings, these addictions in our life that finally we need to break so that we can live well. And this morning, I want to focus on just the first step in getting healthy, and it's this. You're going to love this. The first step in getting healthy is to stop pretending you're God. Just stop pretending you're God. All of us are pretending we are God in some way or another. The first way we pretend we are God is that, get this, we pretend we have no problems. We got it all together. We pretend that we got nothing that's wrong and needs to be fixed. We got no addictions in our life. Other people have them, but not us. Psychology simply calls that denial. Because everyone has problems and no one has everything in themselves under control. Jung 
described it as refusing to face our shadow. That's what he called the sin nature, our shadow. We all have a shadow. Our shadow is things inside of us, about us, that we do not want to face. We don't want to talk about it. If anybody happens to point it out, we get angry at them. We deny we have that shadow. We don't want to face it. The problem is we take our shadow everywhere we go. <laughs> we take our shadow into our marriage and it messes things up. We take our shadow, if we get become parents, we take our shadow into parenting and that messes up our kids. And they end up having issues later because of us. We take our shadow everywhere. Unless we finally face it and admit we're not God, we've got a shadow. The Bible simply says it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. A long time before psychology talked about denial, the Bible was talking about it. That verse is talking about stop pretending you're God and are perfect. One of the facts of life is this. Whatever we deny needs fixing never gets fixed. It's, it works that way around your house, doesn't it, women? You tell your husband, honey, this needs fixing. Are you getting fixing? Nah, it's okay the way it is. It doesn't need fixing. Does it ever get fixed? Not by him. You got to call someone in. Whatever you're denying needs fixing is never going to get fixed. If you don't face your shadow, you're never going to get rid of it. This last summer, I spent my sabbatical at Oxford studying C.S. Lewis. And if you've been around here very long, you know that he's my favorite author. I've learned more about life, not only just the Bible, but about human nature from C.S. Lewis than any other author. I've always been impressed by his thinking and his insights into life. But what surprised me this last summer was I was most impressed by the way he lived. That's what really gripped me this last summer. You see, Lewis, he had a lot of cripplings. His mother died when he was four. And his father was what you'd call a dysfunctional parent. That's putting it mildly. And so he grew up with a lot of cripplings in his life. And when he became a Christian in his early 30s as a professor at Oxford, the Christian life was not natural to him. I mean, this idea of being forgiving and about being patient and being humble and all those kinds of things, that was so unnatural to him. And he, in his autobiography, said that when he became a, real, a Christian, he realized that morality was to him like classical music was to a baboon. And he wrote this, I looked inside of myself and I saw a zoo of lusts a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, and a harem of fondled hatreds. 
Boy, that is so true. This nursery in this harem of all these fondled negative things that are addictions in our life. That's what he saw. But Lewis developed a spiritual discipline early on in his life that was the engine to his transformation into this man that he eventually became, a man who was generous and kind-hearted and didn't react to all the unfair things done to him at Oxford, including keeping him from becoming a full professor because he was a Christian writer. All these things that would have made most people very bitter and resentful never did to him. And all this fame that was coming to him around the world, boy, if you read his letters and know him, this guy was one humble guy who had emptied himself pretty much of pride. He was an amazing man. The engine to that transformation was that he developed the spiritual discipline of going to a priest weekly and making his confession, even though he wasn't a Catholic. He found himself a priest and he went to him for confession. Now, I've been thinking about that a couple of years, but I came back from Oxford this time and I acted on it. And now I have a priest who's agreed to hear my confession and I'm making my confession to a priest. It's an amazing experience. I walked into him the first day <clears throat> And I had a list of Susie's sins that I wanted to confess to him. Because <laughs> I wanted to, you know, confess all my forgiveness. And I had in my list of her sins here, which I've shown you before. I only have one on it. She refuses to cook, which is not normal. It's not normal. And it's a very bad thing. Isn't that right? Don't you agree? Uh, not very much agreement on that. <laughs> But you know, he didn't want to talk about Susie. He wanted to talk about me. And here's the question he asked me. What question do you hope no one ever asks you if you had to answer totally honestly? What question do you hope I don't ask you that if you were hooked up to a lie detector and you didn't tell the tr truth, the pen would jump off the paper. What question do you hope I never ask you if you have to answer it totally, honestly? Gee, I didn't mean it to be that serious. <laughs> you see all this denial that goes on in our life? We have so many ways not to face our shadow. I'm just wondering for you, what question do you hope you never have to answer honestly about what you think and what's inside here and about your secret habits? Frederick Beekner <clears throat> has written a profound little book called Telling Secrets about his own little pilgrimage. And I get a lot out of Beekner too, but <laughs> I just hate this line. <clears throat> he writes, we are as sick as our secrets. We are as sick as our secrets. Whatever we keep secret, 
we will never fix. I don't know what your secrets are that you hope nobody ever knows about you, but whatever they are, you are as sick as your secrets, believe me. If you're going to get healthy again and you're ever going to conquer these addictions that mess up your life, you've got to start to get honest about those secrets. And everyone here, everyone has them. Because we are all image makers. We carefully control what people think about us. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians do that. And they project the image that they have no sin, no real addictions, no real problems. They project the image, they're God and perfect. This is a true story and I'm not making it up. A man married his TV set. 42-year-old Mitch Halen has been divorced twice and had several failed relationships with live-in women. So on Valentine's Day, he married his Sony widescreen with the ceremony actually presided over by a priest and with a dozen of his best friends invited to the wedding. Halen, I'm not making this up, Halen took the vow of high fidelity <laughs> and put matching gold rings on top of the TV. He was asked, why did he marry his TV? He said, well, two divorces and failed romances convinced him that women are messed up. He said, and I quote, my TV has given me countless hours of pleasure without making demands, complaining, or back talking. So I fell in love with it and married it. True story. Don't be too hard on him. Because we all think other people are the problem, don't we? Don't be too hard on him. We all blame our feelings on other people's behavior, unless we've gotten healthy. Don't be too hard on him, because we all blame our behavior on other people's behavior as a legitimate action. Our only problem is other people, unless... We're getting healthy as a Christian. So I'm just wondering today, what are you blaming on other people that's inside of you and your feelings and your behavior? Secondly, the way we pretend we are God is by refusing to admit that we are powerless against our addictions. Powerless. We are powerless against these habits that we've developed, but we act like we could stop any time we wanted to. We say things like, I can handle this, it's not really a problem, I can stop any time I want to, don't we? <laughs> I know this because I do this. You know, when my John and Jenny were younger, Susie and I used to like to take them to Chuck E. Cheese's for a fine family dinner, you know, we do that <laughs> once a week. And when you get there, my kids love to play the games and uh, they're so fun. But I think <laughs> the most frustrating game there that 
we just poured our money into is that little game where you have the mallet and the gopher keeps popping up, you know. And as soon as you hit one gopher down, another or two pop up over here. You know that game? Don't you just hate it? But you can't resist trying to knock those gophers down. Life is like that. You whack one problem down in your life and you think you have it conquered and up it pops with another person. You get over one hurt and finally let it go and doggone it if another person doesn't come along and hurt you and there you are again. Whack! Got to hot hit down that anger again. Got to hit down that resentment. You just think you've got it done and whack! There comes up another gopher with the same problem happening in your life. We get our temper under control with one person and up pops another person at work who makes us mad. We print, walk around pretending we are God. We can handle it. But I got a question for you. If you are so powerful and can handle your addictions in your life, why don't you just unplug the machine? Why don't you just unplug the machine? Because you don't have the power to do that. You are powerless. And that's why the same emotional and thinking problems in your life keep popping up. The third way we play God is by pretending we have no pain, which of course makes us vulnerable to addictions. We pretend we have no pain, and we've all got pain. We've all got pain. I got pain, you got pain, everybody got pain. Have you ever thought about the things you do to ignore and self-medicate your pain? What is that for you? <laughs> Eating. Yeah, eating comfort food. You feel bad, you go right to the fridge. Or maybe it's alcohol or prescription drugs. You know, a lot of people self-medicate by watching lots of TV. They just lose their mind in the fantasy world of TV. Or a lot of people read fantasy novels and romance novels, really. It's not for the literary enlightenment. It's to lose their mind and self-medicate. Or it may be pornography for a lot of guys. Some people use traveling to get their mind off their pain and pretend it isn't there. You know, traveling kind of occupies you, makes you feel good for a while. Some people have an insane pace of life. They are so busy, they don't have any time to think about their pain. That's one way to self-medicate. Keep busy. Some use sex or jumping into one relationship. You've had one bad relationship, so you don't think about that pain by getting involved quickly in another relationship, but it doesn't work. The truth, every one of us has our own way of self-medicating our pain so we can pretend we're God and are painless. Unless... You're getting healthy. And then you begin to deal with your pain and solve it in a healthy way. I'll tell you this, time does not heal. One of the best lines Chevy Chase 
used on Saturday Night Live was this. Hi, I'm Chevy Chase, and you are not. <clears throat> That's when you begin to get healthy. Hi, you're God, and I am not. That's the first step. At FPC, we're committed to becoming a place where it's safe not to be God, where it's safe to be human, human with addictions that I still need to get over. I'm an unfinished project of God. Things in my life that I finally tell the truth about that do mess me up from time to time. Pain in my life that I have refused to face, the shadows. FPC is committed to being a place where it's safe to be real. Without fear that there'll be judgmental gods around us who can't believe we've got this problem and somehow or another they don't. And that's why Celebrate Recovery is so important to us and why we're doing this on Friday night. We want to be a safe place where we can finally stop pretending we are God, that we're helpless against addictions, emotionally and thinking patterns, and begin to solve them and get healed. At FPC, we intend to be a friendship of wounded healers because we're all wounded in one way or another. We just ought to admit it. Julia has been honest with you this morning about her own wounds and things that have happened in her family. And I've been honest with you. And I'll bet there's some people here who've judged me. Because your problem is not speeding. Isn't that funny? As if you're God. If you want to... A God as a pastor, you got the wrong guy. Because I'm in the process myself of taking on one issue at a time and getting healed. I'll tell you this. The closer you get to God, the more you know there are things in your life that need to be fixed. The farther you are from God, the less you know about things that need to be fixed in you. That's a mark of spiritual growth. And I'm inviting you to that with Julia and me and all the others that are, going, that are trying our best to get healed. Now you may be thinking my hurts and habits aren't that bad. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. How bad does the pain have to get before you admit you need to do something about it? How bad does it have to get? My experience is we don't change because we see the light. We change because we feel the heat. Why wait for it to get much worse? Why not get fixed now? Instead of waiting for the pain that is inevitably going to come. One man said it this way. When the acid of pain ate through the wall of my denial... I started to get healthy. Isn't that a great line? I am taking as 
the verse I want to claim for this series in the next few weeks, which I hope you don't miss a single one of these messages because we all need them. I'm taking this verse to claim it for all from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You can claim that verse if you stop pretending you're God. And I invite you to do that. Well, that was another practical message from Dr. Mike. If you live in our area, why not come to in-person worship at one of our three locations Sunday? Hearing Dr. Mike live is so much more powerful. So we hope you can come. <laughs>